If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Women Physicians Lead, hosted by Dr. Lisa Herbert, helps women physicians move from surviving to thriving in their personal and professional lives. Dr. Lisa shares leadership tips, burnout support, stress management strategies, and inspiration from women physicians who've made remarkable transitions into leadership roles. There's a fantastic episode that you should check out called Taking Care of Yourself During the Journey, about how women physicians can care for themselves while on their leadership journeys. Check out Women Physicians Lead on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you doing, my friends? I hope you're well. Do you mind, by the way, that, uh, that I'm calling you friends? I'm certainly not comparing you uh, with the use of friends that we make on social media and the like. I started using friends early on because I knew most of my listeners. They were friends and colleagues and, and family members. And I did it as a way to not feel like a total creep talking to myself in a sound, a sound studio that I had created in my garage. And uh, this helped me imagine that I was actually talking to my friends. But about three years in, almost three years in now, this podcast has grown into its own thing with listeners in over 25 countries. This is not easy for my brain to comprehend. So if you don't mind, uh, it gives me some comfort since I, I, I can't hear your voices to continue using friends. I'd like to believe that if, if you're interested in what I'm interested in here on Highway to Health, that we'd have plenty to talk about if we ever did meet in person. Speaking of new acquaintances, I was recently introduced to my guest for today's show, Tom King, and we had a great conversation. I, I got a chance to read his book, Guy Gone Keto, which is about why he adopted the ketogenic diet after years of working in the food industry. That'll be up in just a moment. If this is your first time listening to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is a place for you to explore and create your own blueprint for health. Having worked in integrative health for more than 20 years, I'm acutely aware of how all aspects of our world come to have an effect on our health, and it is my hope that through the conversations here on the podcast, you might be able to navigate it with greater ease and make more informed decisions and live the kind of life you strive for. I want to say a quick thank you to the new supporters and all of you who continue to contribute through monthly donations to this podcast. Your dollars are incredibly important for helping this community grow. And if you like the resource you're getting here and want to show your support, it's quite easy. You can become a supporter for as little as $1 a month. And there's no risk. If you have a shift in budget and need to pause for a few months, you can do that because it's Patreon and they make it simple. So you just go to patreon.com forward slash highway to health. And I promise to keep bringing you the same amazing guests and resource you've been getting here for the past three years. In fact, starting this next week, the podcast will have a new series of mini episodes I'm calling Two Minute Tune-Ups. Sometimes it's it's nice to get lost in listening to some smart, engaged people in conversation, but if you're like me, sometimes you just want the facts. These short pieces will be an easy way to get simple but th thorough and thoughtful reminders to keep you tuned in and tuned up. Look for the first one next week. Also, in case you're not aware, you can now listen to Highway to Health episodes on highwaytohealthpodcast.com, and you can connect with me there anytime personally through the contact form right there on the front page. I'm also working hard on getting some guest contributors for this upcoming year so you can explore the site and get some real information without wondering if it's clickbait. 
and it will be contact, uh, content that you won't see anywhere else. So keep checking in at highwaydehealthpodcast.com for updates. All right, so let's get on to this conversation I have lined up. Uh, so happy to have been connected to my guest today, Tom King. He's got a book out there uh, that he re- wrote recently, which is a tell-all of his personal awakening into a major lifestyle change, which included a shift to a ketogenic diet. While he's been involved in food science and product development for over the past 10-plus years, uh, trying to promote some low-glycemic options for the food industry, he made some personal changes, which uh, led him to dig into the ketogenic lifestyle um, and which he came to realize made the most sense for his own wellness challenges. If you know nothing about the ketogenic diet, this is a great introduction to introduce you to how the, the basics of how fats, carbs, and protein balance affects us and how we can balance our, our systems for energy, weight loss, and detoxification. He also shares uh, some new products he has in, uh, in development and, and out there, actually, uh, to help people who are trying to adopt this lifestyle, products he wanted for himself in ketogenic forms like barbecue sauce and ketchup, which are usually loaded with sugar. We start out here sharing our adventures in the music biz and how it led both of us into wanting to make a positive impact in the world in other ways. Here's my conversation with Tom King. You you grew up somewhere in the Midwest, Portland, Oregon. You're in Portland now. Yep. Did, didn't I read you were in uh, grew up maybe some maybe part of your life in Milwaukee or something? Well, I was born in Milwaukee, raised in Green Bay. My parents moved to Colorado, um, and that's where I lived most of my I guess adult, that teenage, adolescent life and stuff. Okay. Went to University of Colorado, uh, moved to Arizona, um, lived there for ten years. Um, yeah, then moved to LA to get into the entertainment industry, went to grad school at UCLA, um, and just hated the crap out of the entertainment (laughs) industry in LA. What did you you do specifically? Um, I was in the music industry. I mean, I dabbled in films, so I made a couple films and I had a TV show on, on UPN, which is a dead network now. Right, right. I um, remember it. But mostly, mostly I was in the music industry. I was, I, had, I was also in the music industry, so. Oh, what did you do in the music industry? I, I was a musician. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you were on the fun side. I was, I was on the worst side, actually. Yeah, um, <laughs> the worst side for making money, for sure. Yeah. But, the fun side because all yeah. the suits just yeah kind of ruined it. What uh, what what were you in a band? Do you, do you, what instrument did you play? Yeah, I was I was in a band. I, I played I played bass and guitar and dabbled in every, every other instrument. <laughs> but That's but uh, it, I was it was the '90s and you know by the late '90s it was sort of clear that things were going to go through a big change and I was I was also sort of hitting a point in my life where. You know, I, did, I was coming up on 30 and wasn't sure that I yeah. really wanted to, like, make that a career. I just, I didn't love the the politics of it, okay. you know, well, you know, just getting getting shows and having to deal with the people in it. <laughs> yep. I didn't yep. love that part, but I loved the music. I loved creating music. I loved my bandmates. Yeah. It just, that, yeah. that part was just too much. And it just, it just sort of coincided with me deciding to go back to school and yeah. that led into the career that I ended up in, so... Nice, but Good it's made it, it's made the podcast easy for me because I know audio. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that sounds perfect. 
Yeah, the music industry, it's like, it's so weird because I, I mean, I've worked in the music industry on like a bunch of different sides. Like before I had record labels and stuff, I worked for uh, Clear Channel. And oh, so, is that right? Yeah. So I was a regional VP for Clear Channel. And, um, you know, I just saw that the, uh, you know, where the, I saw where the music industry was going. Yeah. And what's inter- interesting to me is like I was I was in it starting in it when when like mp3 players were starting to you know come onto the market yeah and it was that's when i was like oh crap the record industries thinks that think they think that they're selling music and <laughs> they're not they're selling pieces of plastic yeah and sort of that differential competitive advantage is the intellectual property that's embedded on that piece of plastic exactly. but they're in the plastic industry and they don't see this coming, that nobody's going to give a crap about plastic anymore. Everybody's going to want it on these handheld devices. And, and and they didn't do anything about it. Like they didn't prepare. They didn't make any shift. Yeah. And it was interesting to be able to watch that implode. Like it just completely imploded. Were, were you there for it? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like every – I would have to say, you know, I've been doing this now for like – I mean, full time for probably 15 years. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was like got out of the music industry 15 years ago. But I definitely, yeah, I saw I saw it from the heyday when people doing lines of coke and driving around in limousines and throwing around advance money like it was nothing. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. I mean, I saw so much of that, and then. I saw things start to decay and start to fall apart and where they weren't making any money and people were getting fired and, you know, and, and they just never shifted their business model. And yeah. even now it's like, you know, when I look at artists like Dave Matthews and, you know, who, who doesn't really have, you know, and Radiohead and Tom York, it's yeah. like yeah. Th- they don't have any use for record labels. Right. So what's the point? Yeah. And so, I, th- I, th- I think that's, it's going to become more and more of that. I mean, you know, there's still the, the the business of getting things out there, but I think that's that's also starting to change. I, th- I think, and 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 artists are realizing they're only going to make money for the most part at this point, unless they're unless they're Radiohead <laughs> on on right. touring, and even even still, I'm sure they have to tour to some extent. Yeah, it's touring and merchandise and it's merchandise. Much, and, yeah. yeah, and that's you know, and then in the end, you know, when record labels were really starting to to bite it. You know, then they wanted a piece of touring and they wanted a piece of merchandise. Mm. And, you know, at that point, then the artists are like, then they, you know, then then the true nature of record labels was revealed. Greed got the best of them. Well, let's let's hope greed gets the best of the food industry then, too. There's a lot of there's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on in the food industry, too, that's just messed up. Yeah. So but we're here to change the world, damn it. Well, that's that's why I, I wanted to talk to you. I mean, I feel like it was it was great to get connected with you, and I, I, thanks for sending me your book in advance. It was I, 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 I loved I loved you know the the simplicity of it. I feel like the thing with the thing with going through nutrition, and, and I don't know if, if I if you knew that I I I did do a little nutrition work early in my career because when I yeah. first moved to New York, I got. I got sent to study with Barry Sears, <laughs> and so I, I I learned, you know, and, and it's and it's funny because I what I kind of figured out, you know, from the you know that was that was the forty thirty thirty plan, yeah. and balance bar, 
exactly balance all the zone zone stuff yeah um was was you know really just kind of thinking a little bit more about you know what the whole you know what whole foods i was putting into my diet what that what that balance looked like for me at the time i was young enough too that i could sort of get away with a, a little more <laughs> now but mm-hmm. but it, but it also i think i started making these modifications for myself just having a very you know sort of I, because i've worked as a trainer and functional movement specialist and i've i've done a lot of body work with people i had days you know that were many many you know 10 12 hour days and i still have them every once in a while yeah where i i and i and i can't eat you know uh, anything big in the middle of my day or i just crash so i started realizing right. That if I could, you know, if I could sneak in just some greens and and nuts and different kinds of things, if I if I stayed heavier on the fats, my energy level just stayed better. And yep. what, what basically what I was doing was kind of ketoing my <laughs> my diet, just little yeah. little bits and pieces. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I liked I liked that your your book was about half the book is basically set up as kind of insight into your process and what this kind of diet looks like. Yeah, and also it's just sort of understanding how to organize your yourself, and then the rest of it was really just kind of the food itself. And and I think it's it's short enough that people can actually go through because this is one of the problems I have with like I love Tim Ferriss as well. It sounds like you're a Tim yeah. Ferriss fan, but like his his book, <laughs> it's like so comprehensive that I, I I every once in a while I reference it, but it's so big that I it's it's kind of right. hard to even go through. And so it's almost 100%. kind of like the encyclopedia of, of, you know, all sorts of different kinds of views of nutrition. But if we're just looking at this part of things for, for someone, I think it's really easy to look at. Well, thank you. That's, those are super kind words. The, the book was just, it was a very much a labor of love for me. How did, how did it happen? I mean, I, I know your, the, your story kind of starts, you know, in terms of your big personal transformation just a, just a few years back, but... Yeah, uh, and and was that the the beginning of you realizing you needed to like get get this in order? Well, I mean, I just felt like yeah, I felt like an imposter because I worked, you know, in supplying sweeteners to. I mean, my main company is that I'm the CEO of an ingredient company, and we supply clean label, you know, sh- sugar substitutes to sports nutrition companies and. And the majority of our customers, I would say, are in that keto category. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I would dabble with keto. Yeah. I use keto as a diet. So, like, if I'd start getting fat, I'd be like, oh, shit, I got to go back on right. keto. Right. And then I'd lose 20 pounds and then I'd go off keto and then I'd gain that 20 pounds back. And that's super hard on your body. Like, yeah. you know, losing weight and gaining weight and going back and forth is hard on your liver. You know, it's hard on your adrenals, um, you know, and that was my cycle system. Yeah. And so that was the cycle that I did. And then I just hit a wall like and I was on I was in Las Vegas. I just gotten, you know, through a very expensive divorce and was, you know, had super high blood pressure and and um, heartburn, like terrible indigestion. Mm. But I was eating pizzas and drinking a bottle of wine every day yeah, and yeah. just had this lifestyle. And I was in Vegas and had, you know, had a, one of my customers take me out for dinner. And I'm like, oh, yeah, somebody else is paying. So had a steak and potato <laughs> and cake it. and wine. I got <laughs> back to the room and I just, you know, I was staying at the Luxor and the Luxor is just really needs to be torn down. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a turd. And yeah. The room that I got, they're like, oh, you're going to be in the executive suite 
And I would call it the brown chicken brown cow suite because it was just like, it was like, what? I mean, there was a jacuzzi in the middle of the room and the carpet was all sticky. And I'm Ugh. like, you know, it smelled like broken dreams and regret. And <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is going on with my life? The room's like 62 degrees and I'm just like freezing in the corner of this dank, crappy room. I looked in the mirror and I'm like, look at you. you <laughs> this is bottom. And, you know, it's different for all people, you know, like some people bottom out and it's like, you know, like alcoholics find themselves living on the streets or in a ditch somewhere. And it's like, that's their bottom. Maybe my bottom wasn't as deep as other people's bottoms. But, um, but at that point I was like, you know what, I'm, I need to make a lifestyle change. And that's when, you know, things got super clear. And then, you know, a friend of mine who who owns uh, Quest Nutrition. Every time I'd ask him to go out to dinner, he's like, "No, I don't eat." And and it threw me into this weird this weird question of like, oh, maybe this guy doesn't want to have dinner with me. But then when I adopted keto and I understood keto and as a lifestyle, I it really was revealed to me that I was I was living to eat, not eating to live. Right. It's the cult- and, the culture of food. Oh, and it's crazy. And I started yeah. looking at the culture of food and booze and it's yeah. like, oh, hey, you want to meet me for a beer? I'm like, well, that beer is, you know, 16 to 18 carbs and <laughs> it's yeah. going to knock me out of keto. But, you know, before I really started thinking about it, it's like beer. Oh, yeah. And let's chase that down with a nice shot of Jameson. Right. And, you know, you start looking at the lifestyle, you know, and cultural uh sort of habits, you know, like, Hey, let's meet for dinner. And then I, then it was like, it was just like turning on the lights. I was like, Holy crap. It's like, I need to shift from living to eat, to eating to live and really feed my body. Cause you know, this thing's a machine. It's our meat suit and this meat suits what gets us around. And without it, you don't go anywhere. And and feeding and and feeding the other parts of yourself too, that are like in need of you know, some sustenance. And I think when we, we fill up that hole or whatever you want to call it with, mm-hmm. with alcohol and, and sugar most of the time, oh. because it, it does that same thing to our, it makes our brain think we're filling, filling it up. Yeah. It's a void. And I mean, that's, you know, that was, so this ketogenic journey didn't, I mean, it started with journaling. So mm. I was like, Hey, I need to make a change because my life is, is not where I want it to be right now. And I just started writing it down. And after a year of writing things down, I'm like, wow, this looks very much like a book. And that, that was, that was really the genesis of oh, the wow. book and, you know, things I incorporated, like I incorporated meditation and journaling and, you know, and mindfulness and, and bringing mindfulness into eating and being able to recognize like, all right, am I filling a void here? You know, like, yeah. am I just mindlessly munching because, you know, I need, you know, I need distractions. So it's been a journey. I mean, I'm still on the journey. Like, and I think that it's a lifelong journey, right? Um, you know, finding habits that we want to break and, and self-improvement. But, you know, for me, this sort of was a catalyst or a gateway into, into a lot of different sort of um, self-improvement modalities. So, so what did the start look like for you when, after that, after that epiphany? Um, well, I just started what I started. Well, I, what I did is I started practicing keto, but I would say that I would call it dirty keto because yeah. I always, I thought that cheat days were a thing. 
So I would, <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's no cheat days. Like that's the thing. It's like when I see people that are just starting out on keto and it's like, Oh yeah, that's my cheat day. And I'm like, no, there's no cheat days. It's like, <laughs> you can't have that. Cause I had that. And Sunday was my cheat day and it'd be ice cream hamburgers and, you know, and, uh, like French fries and a beer and, and a shake and ice cream and like all of this stuff. And I would just feel like complete crap. Yeah. And, you know, then it took me two or three days to really get back into deep keto and then, you know, I was back at it on Saturday. So I saw maybe some small changes in weight and but not not really any measurable changes in, you know, my clarity, uh, cognition, you know, and, and and brain function. So but I think those, those 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 cheat days end up kind of being helpful, I think, early on in the process, as long as you don't end up with a string of them, because you realize, God, I was feeling so good for all those days. And this is what, and this is what I've been feeling like. I mean, you, you, it doesn't take long to realize I just, you know, or the, or the cheats just become so much smaller. <laughs> They're almost they unrecognizable. Do. Yeah, they do become smaller. And I think that anytime, you know, I think, you know, you mentioned Tim Ferriss and the one thing that, that about Tim Ferriss that, that completely uh, inspires me is the level of data collection that he does. Like mm -hmm. he's a freak about data collection right, right. and I get that cause I'm kind of a linear thinker. So, you know, like I've got the aura ring and I'm like tracking like all my vitals and, yeah. and weight and blood pressure. And it, it's amazing though, how food can shift that. Like with my aura ring, like I would have like a whiskey before I go to bed. Cause I sort of consider whiskey low carb. I mean, it's ethanol and it's, you know, metabolized in your liver. Right. But what I noticed is I could have one whiskey before going to bed, but my resting heart rate was elevated. Uh, and then yeah. my readiness level the next day was, you know, was not great. So, and, and I've really discovered like just in this past week. So, you know, so I'm, I'm enjoying, um, sober September. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my You're doing it early. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, it's like, and we'll see, cause I might roll into October and be like, you know what? September was so good. So right. my girlfriend is actually going on a, an ayahuasca, I guess, uh, ceremony mm -hmm. in Colorado at the end of the month. And part, part of it is that she needs to sort of cleanse her system out. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, if it's, if it's sober September for her, that pretty much makes it sober September <laughs> right. for me too, because I'm not that guy that'd be like, oh man, this whiskey's really good, but you'd like to have some, um, <laughs> that, that leads to tension and I don't need yeah. it. So, um, yeah, so I've noticed that my readiness level and that my sleep patterns, you know, without having any substances at all is really, um, is really solid. That'll be interesting in October. Cause it's like, if I, you know, am I going to go back into the same pattern, you know, or am I going to be like, well, this was really great. My readiness level was super high. My resting heart rate was low. You know, I've lost a few pounds, which is always welcome. Right. Um, clarity is super solid. And it's like that. So I think you're hundred percent spot on when you say cheating actually is so miserable. <laughs> yeah. It gets you to recognize the benefits of what you were doing. And, and, and you talked about that in the book a little bit about, about leveraging pain as kind of a, and, and suffering that that can be like a motivating force. Oh, it's the best thing in the world. 
<laughs> like there's there's no way to learn other than pain. Yeah. And uh, you know, and 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 I think that if you talk to somebody who's in pain, they'll disagree with you. But you know, after it's over, like if you look at any type of pain, it's always um, it's always a really excellent teacher if you leverage it into that. And I think that that pain can also be different forms too. I mean, like the lying on the couch after a, a meal that was too much, or you know, the the hangover, or <laughs> whatever you know, or even even just you know, sickness. You know, sometimes I think we right. we do get sick. You know, the the timing of getting sick is always kind of interesting to me because you you it always ends up being one of those things. I just I'm just recovering from a cold right now, so ah. it's one of those things where it's like I pushed really hard for a very long time, and my body's trying to tell me something, mm-hmm. and and you know it's it, you either listen to that, you know, we we listen to the, the this has not been a fun experience, and mm-hmm. we either listen to it or we don't. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. I've got that same issue with my back right now. Like my, my back is usually super solid, but I picked up something wrong a few days ago and just, and, and it was a muscle strain. So it didn't feel like anything was popped out of the joint, Right. but I've been continuing to work through it. Like I had furniture delivered to the house and I had to assemble it and <laughs> had to lift a bunch of stuff. And it's like, yeah, I can just work through this. Um, yeah, it's no fun, but the lesson, I mean, you know, the pain is, you know, there's a lesson in it, but there's a huge difference between pain and suffering. Right. And suffering, I don't think is, is healthy, but pain, I think a little bit of pain never hurt anybody. Tell me about what, like how you, what was it, what was the transition into, into you thinking about being an entrepreneur in the, in the food industry mm-hmm. after music oh. all those years? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I just felt like, well, the music industry, you know, when I was in the entertainment industry, it, I mean, it's super, it, it appears to be super glamorous and exciting, <laughs> right. um, but it doesn't, you're not really making a difference in the world. It's really sort of an egocentric industry, you know, where people go to feed their egos. And I, I just, when I worked in that industry, I felt like I needed something more. I felt like I needed to make I felt like I needed to make a difference, you know, like mm-hmm. I needed to do, do good. And it, I felt like if I did good, that eventually I would do well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one thing that I recognized, you know, immediately, and this was 15, 15 or 20 years ago, I ran into a guy who, who had come back from, uh, Paraguay. And he had like a bunch of different herbs and he was like one of the original, you know, sort of scouts for different types of, of healing herbs and stuff like that. And his, and his son actually suffered from a condition called the phenyl, phenylketonuria and it's the inability to be able to, uh, metabolize phenylalanine, which is one of the main components in, um, in aspartame. Okay. So like when you look at aspartame and a sweetener, you know, it's used to sweeten some, uh, some soft drinks and, and one in particular is Coca-Cola. If you look at the back, the label on products that have aspartame in it, it does have a warning. It says, if you suffer from PKU, um, don't drink this because it could uh, put yeah. you into a coma. Yeah. Um, so he, he, he came back from, you know, from Paraguay and he had this jar with these leaves in it and it was just like a paste. And he's like, you should try this. So I tried it and it was 
around 25 times sweeter than sugar. And at that point, I was like, holy crap, this doesn't have any carbs. It doesn't have any calories. It tastes sweet. It's got some off notes, you know, like herbs, herby, licorice type flavor. Yeah. Um, but at that point, I, I just thought, you know what? There's something I could do with this. Like, this could be the natural version, you know, of aspartame. And so it, that just became my quest while I was working in the entertainment industry. I just sort of parlayed all the money I was making into researching and finding a company that could do like a water extraction process for me. So it just became this quest. And then eight years later, you know, I had a finished product and I started bringing it, bringing it into the U S and then, you know, that's when I started making plans to exit out of the entertainment industry and get mm -hmm. into food because I really felt like if I was able to create a line of food products or create a company that supplied ingredients to food manufacturers that would actually lower the sugar um, and make a make an impact on metabolic disease, I felt like that would be something that I wouldn't mind leaving as a legacy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, like, I mean, I, I, I always, whenever I get into any kind of endeavor, I always look at, well, is it going to do good? Is it going to, is it going to, is it going to make a change in the world? And is in, and as far as legacy goes, is that something that I want to keep my name tied to? Right. You know, yeah. in the end when it's like, oh yeah, Tom King was a great guy and you know, he was huge in the, in the porn business. I don't <laughs> right. want that. <laughs> right, like, right. No way. That's uh, not what I want. There are so but, many ways know. to make money, but it's, it's hard to find something that actually is meaningful. Right. And I think that there's so many people that gravitate towards, Hey, how can I make the easy buck? And right. you know, how can I get, you know, attention and feed my ego? And it's never about doing good. And I think that that's super unsatisfying. Um, well, at least, at least it is for, for me. I'm not going to judge people that, that go into it. But, you know, I mean, look at you, Jeremy. I mean, you're, you you obviously are in an industry to help people heal and you practice your 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 modalities on people to make their lives better. So well, I, mean, and I, I, I think it came for me, too, from, from being in different jobs when I was younger mm -hmm. where I realized mm -hmm. I, I, I can't just – sell crap that came from China that people are going to throw and I couldn't, I couldn't deal with waste. Like Christmas, right. Christmas for me every year is just brutal. Like I just, I just suffer through watching my children <laughs> get presents and I, you know, there's no, there's no other way around it. It seems. And, you know, I've tried to right. talk to family members, and whatnot, but, but I sort of, there was just something in me early on where I just like, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I was, I, I, I was, I wasn't quite out of music yet, but I just knew I had to find some kind of supplement. I was an English major. I wasn't even planning on getting mm -hmm. into medicine. Uh, I was mm -hmm. I was planning on being a teacher and writing, and you know that was kind of my thing at the time. So I you know I, I transitioned, but you know even as I even as I sort of you know work through my career right now, I mean I, mm -hmm. I I'm outside of the insurance industry, which is which is a good mm -hmm. thing for the people who can afford me. <laughs> but mm -hmm. it's I, I started realizing, you know, about five years ago, I just started looking for something more for myself too to to put out there because I felt like I'm helping the smallest percentage of people basically, and yeah. and I knew there was more resource to, that I could give, and I and I happen to have like a great network of people, really, you know, some of the you know smartest people out there who can also be informative, and then I just that that network just keeps expanding. So nice. yeah, it just, it ha it ha I mean, I, but I think you, I think like you, like you have to, 
you have to kind of have the the spark first to think like I have to do something you know beyond just my need <laughs> for survival. Yeah, you know, and, and I and it, like like you're saying, like it's it's not one of those things that that is going to be an immediate you know boom all of a sudden you know you like you eight eight years of of developing a product for most people would be just torture right <laughs> you know you you <laughs> clearly torture. had i'm sure but you had the you know the sort of wherewithal to know that like you had to keep pushing and this was your thing well you grind it out you do what has to be done <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> nice so, so so what 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 is what was through that sort of shift, do you think with the with the sugar, you know, part of things was was that something that you were trying to solve for yourself? You know, in terms of did, did you have weight issues when you were younger as well? Um, I was a horrible sugar addict. Okay. So I think that that's where it started, and it, that started affecting me sort of hormonal, horm, hormone, hormonal, no, hormonally, hormonal, <laughs> hormonally. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thanks. <laughs> so. Yeah, because I was getting big, bigger swings in, in weight gain and weight loss. Um, but I was really, really bad with sugar. Like yeah. I would, I was notorious for taking a can of Pepsi and drinking some of it down and then pouring a bag of M&Ms into it because um, <laughs> it wasn't quite sweet enough. Uh. And I mean, even like, yeah, and when I was in college, I, yeah, it was terrible. Like, couple pots of coffee and, and massive amounts of sugar. Um, and so what I, I mean, what I noticed for me from that is like a yo-yo weight, weight going up, weight going down, but then like terrible crashes in the afternoon and headaches, like, you know, about 2 PM was my cutoff. And it's like, I got to lay down, I got to get a nap. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, that kind of stuff is not sustainable. So really it was, it was a quest to find something for myself because I didn't really believe in, you know, in chemical based, um, artificial sweeteners, you know, because some of them have been shown to, to impact, uh, Parkinson's and some have been shown to, you know, cause cancer in rats, yep. um, affecting the microbiome. So, you know, there's a lot of those chemical based sweeteners that are really popular. They're still popular. Um, you know, for me that didn't work because, you know, I have a really sensitive microbiome. And if I introduce uh, sucralose, which is the, you know, which is in Splenda, mm-hmm. it, it completely like for two days, stomach aches, weird sort of GI stuff. Yeah. It was a lot of the things that I've done have been sort of selfishly for myself. Um, but the net effect is that I believe that it's good for other people. Like with the guy gone keto uh, line of condiments, I've had tons of people like, Oh my God, that was such a good idea. And it's like, I would love to say, yeah, it was a great idea. And I planned it that way, (laughs) but I didn't, I, I adopted a ketogenic lifestyle and I couldn't have teriyaki sauce and I couldn't have ketchup. I couldn't have barbecue sauce in this lifetime. Now I'm a, I'm a food technologist. So I have access to a lab and I'm like, well, I'm going to make ketchup and I'm going to make barbecue sauce and I'm going to make teriyaki sauce for myself. Because, you know, I'll be able to have it then. (laughs) So selfishly, I created that. But then out of it, there were people like, oh, my God, this is like the most amazing ketchup. You should bottle it. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. I should. So so we did. And it was it was a huge success. And and um, yeah, but it it was purely because (laughs) because I wanted it for myself. Was, was, Was there food that was really hard for you to give up at as you were going through this change? French fries, French fries, <laughs> French, 
French fries, French fries and pizza, like French fries. And like, I can make a really pretty decent, uh, a pretty decent keto pizza now, but you know, like, and I've tried to make French fries out of jicama, um, and they're keto ish. And those have turned out pretty well, but like if I could get like some truffle French fries and <laughs> pizza yep. and, and ice cream, I, I mean, like occasionally I'll make some keto ice cream, but yeah, there's definitely things that were hard for me to give yeah. up. I, it's a long, long list. It, it was interesting. We do, I just went to Iceland with my family oh. for, for a week this in, in July oh. a, and um, everything there. It would be it would be an interesting place for you to go actually at some point because they have brought the sugar down on just about everything from soda oh. to ice cream. I mean, and we stopped at this at this dairy farm where mm-hmm. they had a little cafe. Basically, mm-hmm. they had you know all sorts of different kinds of coffee you could order and tables mm-hmm. and then a, and a window and the cows were on the other side of the window. It was like their oh. in, in, indoor part where they could eat and stuff. And <laughs> all the hay was in there and. I, I thought the and and they also handmade their their waffle cones, and they oh. put, and they put some kind of like handmade caramel or something on there. I'm sure that part was not great, but the the ice cream was was not very sweetened. And my kids, I mean, this was like day three into the trip, and yeah. they had already been trying to adjust to, and it kind of liked actually the soda that was less sweet because we you know. We were a little off our our, our traditional <laughs> food plan when we were there, and so they got kind of used to it. But they did not like the ice cream, and really? I actually thought it was fantastic. And and I almost kind of wondered like why 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 do we need? I mean, I guess they just kind of have kept pushing the envelope on like how much sugar we could handle, right? Partly because I'm sure the demand is like. It's it's it, it is some kind of experiment where you know where we've been in for the last you know fifty sixty years of like let's see if we can push a little bit more you know fat and uh, or uh, you know sort of sugar. Pr- processed sugar and and, yeah. and and fats into into things and of course it's going to mm-hmm. taste better. Well, yeah, the more yeah the more sugar there is, the more it triggers your your brain to go into you know into drug mode like. Yeah. It, it just, it fuels you. And, and I do think that they keep raising the bar. Um, the other day a friend of mine had a, like this p- a pina colada, um, smoothie <laughs> and she's like, Hey, just have one drink. It's not going to kill you. And I'm like, all right, fine. And I took a sip off of it. I was like, Oh my God, how are you eating? That is so sweet. Yeah. I mean, it was just as sweet as like pure honey. And I was like, man, that is crazy. So that does, they do keep raising the bar. But I have sort of a philosophy on that, you know, like sugar is it comes from a subsidized industry. Yeah. So it is a super cheap ingredient. Yes. Like you can put sugar and salt into anything. And, and, and corn as well. So therefore the yeah. the corn syrups. Oh, 100 percent. So like when you look at ketchup, when I was, you know, when I was developing, you know, the Gigon Keto line of ketchup in specifically keeping in mind that I wanted to compete with you know, with like Heinz, like Heinz ketchup, you know, that's sort of the staple for, you yeah. know, for most people. Yeah. Um, you know, so we use that as kind of a model to adjust what I had created to have more mass appeal. And when I tasted Heinz ketchup, when I remember, I remember when I was a kid, it t- had some interesting spice notes and stuff like that. And then, you know, we had it to, you know, to compare to ours. And I was like, 
I can't even taste anything except sugar and salt, a little vinegar and some tomato. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at the label, it seems like the recipe completely changed. Hmm. Like it was not, it didn't, it didn't have the ingredients that like the original, you know, ketchups back in the day had like star anise and cloves and garlic and onions and, you know, things that gave it character, but it was the number one ingredient, sugar, sugar. Yeah. Yep. High it, fructose corn syrup, salt. And, and Hunt's, Hunt's ketchup never quite hit, hit the mark. <laughs> no, <laughs> did you, no. Did you, did you ever, do, you know, your, if your parents found it on sale or something, sometimes yep. they'd try a different ketchup. <laughs> no, it never, it never flew. It was too expensive. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're going to save 10 cents on this, <laughs> on this ketchup because that's going to go towards your college fund. <laughs> yep. Sounds like your parents knew my parents. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they came from that era. Let's get into the the ketosis aspect of things. To, I think people kind of need to understand a little bit, like what what this diet comes from, what the what the physical process is, and how that leads to to the weight loss. Can you can you explain that that process? Absolutely. So the the hard part to to hear is that is that being in ketosis is a form of starvation. Okay, right, so right. people just need to just hear that and sort of get over it. Your body has the ability to, your body has the ability to burn two types of fuel. Those fuels are going to be glucose or, or ketones and your body will function more efficiently on ketones. And so I'll tell you how this process is done. If you, if your body is deprived of glucose, meaning you're not eating any sugars, you're not bringing any carbs, carbs convert to glucose. Um, you know, and you're also restricting protein, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, all you eat is bacon and, and cheese and, and ribeyes. And that's completely untrue because if you eat too much protein, that will also throw you out of, out of ketosis because um, protein, if you don't burn it, is going to convert to glycogens and that's just glucose that's stored in your muscles. So the, the basic principles of a nutritional, of a nutritional ketosis diet is going to be um, is going to be 70% fat, 20% protein and 10% carbs. But that 10% carbs is not coming from potatoes and carrots and, you know, stuff that basically grows underground. It's going to be coming from cruciferous vegetables like, um, broccoli and cauliflower and, and a variety of different leafy greens as well. And, like and, those and are, not, and not pastas or no. grains. <laughs> <laughs> no, but pasta, yeah, pasta is not is not keto, and it doesn't fall into that keto category because right. you're not going to have the carbs that you're going to have are not going to include any types of grains. Um, you're going to have to eliminate grains from your life, but there's so many different options now, you know, like nut based things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's the basic premise of the diet: is 70% fat, 20% protein, and 10% cruciferous vegetables. Um, and the way that it works, you know, within your system is that your body is going to, your body is going to take all of the fat. If you've got 70% fat coming in, your liver is what metabolizes, um, is what metabolizes fats. So your liver actually takes these fats and then converts these fats into ketones and the ketones go into your bloodstream 
and your brain can actually function on ketones. Mm-hmm. So you're using you're using ketones as fuel instead of glucose. And think of it this way: glucose is going to be like rocket fuel, and ketones are going to be like diesel. Right. You're going to get a longer sustained fuel from you know from ketones than you will glucose, which burns up super quickly. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, if you're unable to burn it up super quickly, then it goes in, into what's what we call lipid storage or like mm-hmm. fat and that fat could either so be you get the insulin, you get the insulin response, which puts it into storage. It does. And that's good point. Yes. So yeah, your insulin response will put it into storage. And when you put it in storage, that basically means that you're going to be collecting, um, you're going to be collecting, uh, fat you know, around your middle. And that's sort of the, the telltale sign of, of metabolic disease. When you see somebody with thin legs and, you know, upper torso that's reasonably thin, and then they're carrying most of their weight around, around their midsection. And that's very, very dangerous. And, you know, the more you can also get non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is becoming more and more of a thing. And Mm -hmm. that is from taking in too much actually fructose, which Sugar hmm. is actually a combination of glucose and fructose, and so when you're when you are metabolizing it, the glucose portion gets metabolized in in your stomach. The fructose portion of it gets metabolized by your liver, and your liver can only really metabolize around twenty grams of fructose um, per day, and then the rest of it goes into lipids and goes into storage. So, and some of know, that those, being the the white fat around your organs, which right. is the, which is the dangerous part, right? Yeah, and that's you know that's what can you know cause you know non alcoholic fatty liver disease. And if your liver starts to collapse, or if your liver is is not efficient at you know at metabolizing fats or fructose, um, all of that just becomes a self perpetuating sort of disaster, you know, with, you know, collecting weight around the middle and then increasing blood pressure, you know, eventually putting you into, uh, diabetes, you know, and then having nerve damage in toes and losing the toe or a foot or something like that to diabetes. So it's a, it it is, it's, it's sort of this dark sort of rabbit hole that you'll get sucked into if you, you know, if you continue with a sugar, with a diet that's, that's so high in sugars. Yeah, and and the early side of it. I mean, I think I think I started. For, and it's probably the way a lot of people start experiencing it is probably some somewhere around college. You know, our mm-hmm. we're we're done growing, and right. so we're not we're not just burning up all that ex, excess glucose for, mm-hmm. you know, building our our structure. Right. <laughs> and then yep. it, then it gets to a certain point where, you know, if you start putting in more glucose than the body needs, it has to put it into or you know that's sort of the. Yep. The, the old mechanism for that that our, our bodies have have developed is is to just put that into storage for later use mm-hmm. but you know the the energy conversion of having to like put things into storage and then pull them back out it's like the process has to happen twice and if you think about it just from an, an energy perspective mm-hmm. just a horrible use of energy and that's why you know as and I, and I because I was in the fitness industry a little bit you know that and I wasn't always working with you know, doing functional movement work with people. I started out kind of doing work with people who were trying to lose weight and, mm-hmm. and I was doing nutrition work with them too. And that was the thing that's like, you know, you get to a certain point where you can't do enough time on the treadmill to make up for the calories that you're putting in. And then you start right. wearing, wearing your body out. I mean, you start, you start getting all the repetitive stress injuries 
of, you know, hip and knee issues and other, you know, joint and spine issues from just over-exercising and trying to <laughs> deal with with your culture of eating. Yep. Hundred percent, and and so the, the the thing that I think a lot of people also don't don't realize in terms of like what this this kind of diet that you're talking about is that we've been told that that fats are bad, but mm-hmm. what 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 is what is good about fats, and and are some fats better than others? I think that some fats are are much better than others. There there are fats that you know that can raise like bad cholesterol levels, and I think that those those fats should be avoided. Then some of those fats are like, you know, like soybean oil, you know, any, any oils that are processed through hydrogenation. Yeah. I mean, I would try to avoid those. They say that high density, like oils, like, um, like coconut oil are, are bad for you and can raise cholesterol. And I find that to actually be true. Hmm. So my cholesterol levels are actually fairly high but my LDL is low and my triglyceride levels are low. So I don't necessarily think that the old model that, you know, that we used to follow is, is, is accurate. And I also think that the, you know, the vilification of, of fats was something that was perpetuated by the sugar industry. Mm. Um, you know, that fats make you fat, sugar gives you energy. And I mean, there was an article about four years ago in the New York times you know, that exposed some, um, exposed some scientists that had worked for the sugar, sugar industry to sort of perpetuate that misnomer. Yeah. Um, you know, cause sugars do, you know, trigger an insulin response. And if you take in enough of it, then you're going to develop insulin resistance. And right. then that's when metabolic disease kicks in. As far as fats go, you can definitely eat too much fat. Like your body is, you know, is only going to be able to burn so many calories and yeah. fats are very calorific, but along with being, you know, high in calories like that, they're also very satiating, which means that you're, you know, you're going to feel satisfied. You're not going to feel hung- hungry and that it's going to give you longevity. There's a hormone that's released. I forget the name of the hormone, but there's a hormone that's released when you eat fats that t- tells your Nothing. brain. Yes, Exactly. Yeah. So, and it does, and it, and that will send the message to your brain that, Hey, you don't need to eat. You're full and you, you know, and you're not starving. You know, one of the things about keto is I said right from the beginning that it's, it is starvation. And what you're doing is you're starving your body for sugars and, and carbs, which means that your body's going to start burning up those fat stores. Um, cause your body's going to go lean into, you know, the, the quickest energy source that it can get to, which is going to be glucose. And if you've got glycogens and you've got plenty of fat stored in your system, if you put yourself in that state of starvation, you're going to start pulling those glycogens. You're going to start pulling those stored fats out of your system and burning them. And that's the, that's the fat loss end of, uh, of being, you know, being in keto is that you're going to be burning the key, the ketones that you're creating. But when your body is in that starvation state, um, you know, it's going to start pulling lipids that are stored around your middle and glycogens that are stored in, stored in your muscles. And that's when you start seeing a fairly rapid, uh, level of, of weight loss. But I, I'd like to encourage your listeners to, to maybe not think of, of a ketogenic lifestyle as a modality for weight loss as much as thinking of it as a, 
is a modality for for having you know a clearer head, more energy, um, less inflammation, um, you know, and there's so many other health benefits. Yeah. The weight yeah. loss part of it, that's just the frosting on the cake, keto frosting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think one of the things that I've been thinking about when you're talking about the, the, the starvation part of things mm-hmm. is really more of a, like a, a technical physiological starvation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's because you should still feel like you should still feel satiated and the, and it's, yeah. and it's the, the fat quantity that you're putting in that's, that's helping that. Yeah. A hundred, a hundred percent. So when I say starvation, yeah, that is a technical term. You're not going to feel starved. You will feel full. If you are practicing, you know, a proper ketogenic diet, you will never feel hungry. Um, that's one of the, I mean, the real solid upsides to it. But there's there's also a million other sort of upsides. I mean, because I incorporate uh, intermittent fasting, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the ketogenic diet, with that really increases the results that you get. And then once a quarter, I'll just do a 36 to 48 hour fast and that's when you really start to see, you know, the benefits and the effects of, of following a ketogenic uh, lifestyle. Cause you get, you know, you're going to get what's called autophagy in your, in the cells. So cells that are weaker cells that are needing to, you know, that to needing, needing to be cleared out of the body will go through a state of autophagy that happens when you're, um, when you're fasting and you'll start flushing those, that dead cells and actually going through a cleanse um, you know, another thing that happens when you're in a, in a, um, a fasted state is that your body or your, your, your brain will actually, you know, trigger, <clears throat> trigger your brainstem to flush your, your cerebral fluid. So if you're not, you know, at night when you fall asleep is when, you know, was when that flush starts to happen. And if you have high amounts, high amounts of glucose in your system, you're not going to get a proper like cerebral flush. And that's important because, you know, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and, um, and dementia are caused by specific plaques that build up on the brain, like Lewy body plaque or amyloidal plaque. And when that gets, you know, when that starts covering your brain, then you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get, you know, the, the current or the electricity running through your brain that, you know, um, that you really need to. And some of those parts of your brain's brain can start actually just going through a degenerative process. And that's what, you know, you start losing your keys, you start forgetting where you are. And, you know, that takes you, you know, that can take you into, you know, into dementia or, uh, you know, or Alzheimer's. So the, the act of fasting and the act of, you know, applying a ketogenic lifestyle, can really, really help turn those things around. Yeah, and and I can I can speak on the on the cerebrospinal fluid part of things because that is happens mm. to be my field. I'm a craniosacral therapist. I've been doing yeah. it for 20 years, and and about five years ago, because of you know some science that's that's starting to become a lot clearer about what what goes on inside that cerebrospinal fluid, we're we're starting to understand these glial cells and their role mm-hmm. a little bit more, and and that there's probably you know, within that system, there's, there's, they're calling it now the glymphatic system, which is these, oh. that these glial cells 
basically are, are working a lot like our lymphatic system works. And they, they do a certain kind of processing, which, you know, to your point, helps to diminish the, all that, the inflammation, even within the, you know, within, within the dural membrane and within mm. the, the, all the connective tissue systems as well. So it's, wow. a, it's, it's kind of a fascinating, and, and it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I mean, obviously my kind of treatment is helpful for that, but mm-hmm. even sleep, because what part of what goes on, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know how much you know about, about this, but so this is, mm-hmm. this is one of the more fascinating parts of why I got so drawn into this work is that, so mm-hmm. our, our cerebrospinal fluid is, is basically saline. And then, yeah. you know, within that dural membrane, which houses the brain and spinal cord and all the fluid, there's a tide about every five to seven seconds, it goes to top of the head you know, pushes up and the, and the cranials all have yeah. a certain amount of mobility to them. That's why we have those little sutures, those little cracks that you see in the skull. And so it mm-hmm. kind of, it allows for a certain amount of, you know, pressure change to happen in that system. And then it goes down to the tailbone and back up. So it's, it's always doing this kind of like tidal flush, you know, and as we, mm-hmm. as we sleep, <clears throat> that system actually expands a little bit. So it, because it's because all these other functions aren't as necessary at that point, we shouldn't need to digest as much, which, that's that's another reason why intermittent fasting is helpful is because if you're not processing while you're sleeping, your body can get rid of some of this other toxin <laughs> that's happening within your right. neurological system. It's it's helping to kind of you know move all these different things. So, you know, getting adequate sleep and even and even even taking rests. I mean, there's there's some evidence that even just even if it's not a, a sleeping, you know, rest, just just being able to just rest your body, calm your breath. That's why we know meditation has has an impact on that system as well. Is because it really allows the the systems to kind of get all caught up in process, and as we age, the, all the systems slow down a little bit. So, right, we I think there's even a greater need as we as we get older to to spend more time with it. That's interesting. And so, have you found like if somebody, you know, if somebody has a high sugar, a high sugar diet or like metabolic syndrome, that that process of cerebral flushing is inhibited. I think it is. I can I can tell the way systems feel. Sometimes there's a, almost kind of a sluggish aspect to them. Like you can't feel the fluid pressure move very well against the against the cranials, or you know, there's a, there's a whole as that system moves back and forth. That we call it a, a flexion and extension state. You can kind of feel the way the body elongates a little bit, and then shortens and widens a little bit. And you can just tell when 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 people don't have as much mobility in, in that. And it's not always just in. In you know, I think a lot of times we think about flexibility as only happening in in muscles and tendons and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But really, I think it actually happens from the base of our system, from our from our cerebrospinal fluid system, out you know, and and our breathing system as well. If 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 neither of those are working very well, our mm-hmm. our bodies are going to become hypertonic. Interesting. So yeah, it's it's fascinating, and and I, I'm you know on the recovery side of that. I've worked with a number of people who, you know, especially especially the neighborhood I was in in, in Brooklyn, people who were like new parents, either, you know, moms recovering from being pregnant or dads mm-hmm. recovering from their wives being pregnant or whatever, who mm-hmm. all put on weight, right? It's kind of a common common thing that that we go through and sometimes that weight is really hard to to get off and and a lot of times because of people's busy schedules, I, I would do some training with them and do um, some some kind of body work with them, and I would find that the craniosacral work would s- seem to really like boost their system in in a way that was much more profound in terms of like the, even though they were only coming to see me one time a week, sometimes they would like really shed weight easily. 
it, it just seemed like the, it mm-hmm. seemed like the barriers to certain things were just kind of brought down a little bit. So it was just another reason why. I mean, and I use it for all sorts of other things, and I treat newborns as well. But oh. uh, yeah, kind of a surprise part of my career that happened about twelve years, thirteen years ago. <laughs> wow. But, yeah, but it's but it's you know so so it's int- and it's and that's a really fascinating thing which for a whole other episode. But I but I think that. You know, it's, it, having having some regular you know body work, and I, I consider acupuncture and all those other things to be to be part of that camp too. That there are, there are you know sometimes our body needs a little support in its in its process, and especially if we've you know been abusive to it for any period of time, it's a good way to kind of like restart things, and it makes you know getting back on track. I, I know in your book you kind of said as you're getting back on track with exercise to you know, start, start really slow with these sort of, you know, manageable goals and just kind of build from there. And, and I, and I think, you know, having some kind of body work in that process, especially in the early side of the process is really helpful. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I get body work done every single week. So, yeah. and I feel like if I, I feel like, yeah, if I didn't, that it, you know, my, my quality of life would definitely shift. Yeah. I have a couple more questions with you for, for you, sorry, because, uh, I, because I'm mostly vegetarian, and I say I say mostly because vegetarian options on the road sometimes are not the most healthy options, and I, I mm-hmm. m- might have a you know fish here and there. But um, I, I'm you know I just looking through your through your um, recipes, I, you do have some mm-hmm. veggie options in there. Um, mm-hmm. But are, are are there different protein sources that you feel? you know, or, or that, that you know of that are, that are good for, for vegetarians that, that aren't, that, that are keto and that, and that can be helpful? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of options out there. I mean, one of them is nuts, like nuts and, and avocados. I mean, avocados are, you know, an amazing source of fat. And I was entertaining for a while, like going in, leaning into a, a, a vegan keto diet, and I was just never able to get my microbiome dialed in to the point where I mm-hmm. felt comfortable with doing it. And the, the more the more research that I did on on a vegan diet, the more I felt like it wasn't it wouldn't be the best thing that I could do for myself or other people because we human body is unable to create its own vitamin B12. And so we really need to find vitamin B12 by eating animals that are able to methylate vitamin B12, which is not us. Humans just don't do it. We don't make it. We have to actually get it outside of ourselves. Um, so you know, I spent a long time thinking about that because, honestly, I don't eat a lot of red meat. I might have it once every couple weeks, which doesn't sound very keto, but for for some reason I just haven't it hasn't been something that I've been craving. Like mostly I'll be, I eat, you know, seafood and fish and occasionally some chicken. Um, most what I eat is vegetables, but those vegetables are super fatty. Like, um, you know, like avocado mm-hmm. or salads with avocado and nuts. And I mean, I eat cheese, which I wouldn't really qualify as even vegetarian for that matter. But, um, you know, and I augment with that, but, um, but a vegan, the vegan sort of keto vegan that I, I toyed with the idea really lost its appeal when I started, you know, drilling down into, you know, the methylation process that humans go through, um, 
you know, and which, which nutrients and which vitamins we're able to produce on our own. And, and lately there's been, I don't know if, if, if you've read much about the MTHFR gene yeah. mutation that's happening. Um, but you know, that is an even bigger indicator of, you know, of the importance of us getting sort of methylated sources of, of vitamins in, into our system, mm-hmm. um, which sort of requires us to eat other animals. But I would love to hear your opinion on that. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, 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 I was a big meat eater for a long time. And, uh, my, when my wife was pregnant with our second, she had a real sort of opposition to the, both the <laughs> smells and the idea of, of, of animal meat for the most part. And we, we kept eating mm-hmm. fish for a long time. Yeah. Um, but that was for, for her, it was just like one of those things that shifted. And then we tried introducing stuff, chicken and stuff back into our diet. And she just mm-hmm. was like really hard. So, you know, I kind of got forced into it a little bit, but, <laughs> but, but I was, you know, I was in my forties at that point, And I also sure. felt like it, it kind of worked out just about right for me. Like, I think if uh-huh. I, I was, I was eating the, the, the amount of, of, you know, protein calories I was taking in were probably too much for me. And, and I think my, my lifestyle has shifted a little bit. I'm, I'm not as active in my work. I'm doing a, a little bit more mental work. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm, 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 you know, I'm not moving my body as much to, to burn some of those calories, but I also just think it's, mm-hmm. it's, it gets hard on our, on our kidneys to process huge amounts too. So mm-hmm. I, I got to a point where I was kind of like, you know what, if, if I start feeling the need to, to eat it and I, and I, and like you said, I, I think you do have to just pay attention. I don't think there's any one diet and I think we all come from so many different places in the world mm-hmm. that, you know, it's, it, you, you can't prescribe one diet. I just don't think that. Right. And so, you know, I like, I, I like to get, I like to get, you know, conversations going about these different kinds of diets, partly mm-hmm. because I think for, for one, as you, as you mentioned in the book, we're, 70% of Americans are overweight now and, and Europeans are, are catching up to us. They're like what, 50% yep. now or something. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we have a, we have a problem going on in the world and like we, we're going to have to address it on, on, in some way. And I think people need to start, you know, trying some of these things out for themselves and seeing what works. And I mean, even I think, you know, like you're saying, I, th- I think this is a lifestyle and we need to start thinking about the, the way that we, you know, the, the, the food that we're putting into our body as, you know, driving kind of the way we want to feel in our, in our bodies too. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, anything to get people started. <laughs> You know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing, you know, like, is keto right for everybody? No, I don't think so. And I mean, I think that there's two factors, like do what's right for you, do what is going to make you feel, you know, the best about yourself. And if you, you know, another, another factor too, is like, you know, I was only 35 pounds overweight and there's people that are 235 pounds overweight. And I think that the big factor and, and, and I've also gotten tweets from people are like, well, you only lost 35 pounds. So what's the big deal? And it's like, well, it, 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 I didn't do it specifically to lose weight. And if somebody needs to lose 235 pounds and they're not feeling good about themselves, or if you, you need to lose 35 pounds because you don't feel very good about yourself because you feel like you're better than that, I mean, there's two two things that I think people should maybe take a look at, and one of them is is self acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, 
body acceptance and you know and i think that body shaming is is a horrible thing and i think with social media you see that a lot you know with people bullying online bullying people that are carrying extra weight um yeah, you know, the, the main thing is make a choice for yourself, you know, make a choice that you, you want to make, so you're healthy. Don't make it for anybody else. And yeah. don't, you know, don't make a choice because you, you felt like you were body shamed or that you're going through body shaming, like do it because you, you know, you want to do something for yourself. That's good. Yeah. I, and I got into that when I was doing nutrition work was I, I really got away from talking about, about weight loss. I, I, you know, and, and I, I, although I do think what you said in the book about, about, you know, if, if you're, if you're tracking this, if your goal is weight loss, then, then mm-hmm. track it. But, you know, th- there were times with people where I could just tell that their, their energy was, was down. They're, they're, you know, struggling with depression. Sometimes they're trying to get off of depression meds and, and knowing that exercise makes a big difference for them. And so my, my goal a lot of times was just to make people feel stronger in their bodies to, to start and to, and to have that, that acceptance. You know, I think mm-hmm. if, if you start there and you start losing weight, you're in a great place. If you, if you don't, if you don't get that, 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 you know, physical acceptance of yourself, that, that, that acceptance of your body and you lose all that weight you're still going to have the same issues. Doesn't matter what weight you're at. Right. And you're so, going to be, yeah, you're going to be a, a thin body and a, and you know, an overweight head. <laughs> it's true. We all, we all need a little more self acceptance. Yeah. And is is there is there any so so if if people do change their diet, is there is there anything that they should you know physiologically expect? I mean, there are there are going to be some some probably some positive and some negative things that go on with with any change that the body goes through. Um, yeah, well, I mean, there's, people talk about the keto flu. Um, yeah, yeah. I never experienced it. I've keeping, keeping yourself hydrated and, you know, keeping, keeping electrolytes flowing through your body. And even if it's just putting a tiny pinch of salt in your, in your water that you won't even taste, I mean, that's going to help you help you through it. But anytime you make a dietary shift, I think it's really important. I mean, we're all we're all dehydrated. Mm -hmm. So I'd say, you know, adding more water, adding some electrolytes to it will really ease you through, you know, any type of a dietary transition like that. Yeah. I I always recommend that as well. There are some things that I see just because I've been doing this for long enough that I see year after year, certain times of year where people basically, you know, have similar symptoms, sometimes, you know, sort of the the typical my, my back goes out kind of muscle spasm type things mm-hmm. and it's usually through seasonal shifts you know so hmm. just just know that every every time there's there's a, a change in season your your body's having to make some adaptation so when the temperature goes through a big swing or if you're you know northern climate and you're spending more time indoors you're probably you're probably yep. exposed to this dry heat more you got you got to hydrate mm-hmm. more in the summer usually yep. right at the, right at the beginning of summer when you when you haven't been moving as as much as you as you will in the summer and the heat cranks up that's a perfect time for <laughs> to, to make sure you're <laughs> hydrated cuz otherwise you're going to end up with problems so yep. those are those are those are always good ones to remember nice one other one other thing uh, before I let you go, I really liked. Um, I just wanted to tell you, I, I, and I, you and I apparently have been studying some similar things, but I, I think it's it's a good one to sort of remind people of when they're thinking about making a big change like this, which is the mm-hmm. fixed mindset versus mm. the the growth mindset. Can you can you uh, elaborate on that just a, for a second? <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I well, I mean, the, the mindset is what's going to 
is what's going to pull you through any any type of a challenge or any type of a you know any type of a lifestyle change and you know keeping a positive mindset is you know or a growth oriented mindset i mean those are the things that that come from enthusiasm and optimism mm-hmm. and i think that you can maintain a growth mindset by living in a state of gratitude and sometimes yeah. that's not so easy for people to do but that's where journaling really really plays a major role in my life like i don't yeah, start the day without journaling because that sort of sets the stage for for what my day is going to look like or what my masterpiece is going to look like yeah. and if i write it down you know like things that i want to manifest things i want to create i always finish my, my journaling with what is it that I'm grateful for? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's my belief that if you, are, if you can keep yourself in a, in, in, in a state of mind and a state of gratitude, if that negativity cannot, they can't coexist together. And it really vanquishes that negativity, a fixed mindset, a fixed mindset, you know, as opposed to a growth mindset is going to be more along the lines of, you know, Hey, I can't do this or, you know, see, I told you so. (laughs) Yeah. I told you so. Or the fear of what other people think, Mm -hmm. you know, like, is that person looking at me and judging or whatever, but like Carol Dwick, um, has a book called mindset. Um, one of my favorite books and really talks about how, you know, setting yourself up to win by, you know, by creating a positive mindset for yourself. But as far as how I do that for myself, purely journaling, I journal it and always wrap it up with at least, you know, at least a couple paragraphs on the things that I'm grateful for, even like being grateful for my breath. I mean, you know, we don't focus on our breathing enough or, you know, or even just having a moment of, of quiet of quiet contemplation where I yeah. can write and think clearly. There's so many things to be grateful for. And if you can put yourself, you know, into that mindset, that is really going to, you know, that's going to define your day. And I think it's, it's, it's such a good thing to remember when we have a day that's really off either mm-hmm. from self-imposed or from outside forces to, mm-hmm. to, to really be able to kind of like check back in with what's important for you. And I, you yeah. know, I, I tend to write in the same area all the time in my, so many times I just look around the room to what's like, <laughs> so my, my dog's been in there a few times <laughs> as to what I'm grateful for. But you know, if, if you, you know, if you're, say if you're focusing on, on weight loss and you put two pounds on and it's really, you know, or you're, or you're plateauing or whatever, and you just feel like I'm doing so much work and I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. You have all of this stuff around you that you're actually, you know, manifesting that that's, that's a positive thing in your life that it's, if if you don't look at, you know, the whole picture and just get so mm-hmm. focused on those two pounds, it's, it's hard to kind of keep yourself motivated because that feels like the only thing in your life sometimes. But, oh, yeah. you know, I think, I think that the, the gratitude work is, is, is incredibly important. I think it's hugely important and I don't start my day without it. So, you know, if, if you, you know, if you have listeners that feel like, you know, that they're, they're sucked into and trapped by negativity, just sit down for a minute with, you know, pen and paper and just start writing out all the things that you're grateful for, like all the people that love and care for you and things that nurture you and the aspects of your life that, you know, where there's beauty, 
and it'll pull you out of any funk. For sure. Well, thanks, Tom. This has been so much fun. Jeremy, it has. So glad we got to meet. Yeah, it was such an interesting transition into, into, you know, into the podcast. Like all of a sudden we're having a conversation. I'm like, oh man, I hope he's recording. Oh, I I am. (laughs) But the flow, like the the flow of conversation was just, it was perfect and beautiful. So I, I, I appreciate that. Oh, thanks Tom. And, uh, and I, I appreciate uh, everything that you're doing and if, and I will, I'll put up uh, your, your book in show notes and uh, is there, is there a website that people can find out more about uh, the, the products you're developing as well? Yeah, they, I mean, you can always go to Guy Gone Keto, okay. uh, guygoneketo.com. You can find Guy Gone Keto on any of the socials. Um, if you get on our list or if you follow us on, you know, Instagram or any of the socials, um, you get first crack at some of the products that we're developing. Cause I know I've got a spicy, spicy barbecue sauce and a spicy garlic ketchup that I'm working on. Um, and we always like to get that out to our followers to try out. So get on our list, you get free product, you get to try some of this new stuff and tell us whether it sucks or not. Um, <laughs> cause that's how we, <laughs> that's the only way we get better. Right. Um, if you want to see what we're doing as far as like food science and, you know, on the ingredient side of our, of our business, just go to iconfoods.com. Um, you can check it out there. You can reach out to me, direct message me on any of the socials. I'll get back to you, um, right away. All right, cool. Thanks so much, Tom. Tom King folks. As we discussed, there's no one diet for an entire population, but for someone who is suffering the health effects of too much sugar in their diet, and those could be weight gain, poor sleep, sluggishness, anxiety, or depression, it might be worth giving keto a try. There's a certain amount of trial and error in adopting a new diet or in a lifestyle shift. In, in my life, I approach dietary changes like a playful scientific experiment. I'm strict with my control subject, which is me and my body's response. And I take notes on how I feel physically, my mood, my energy, and I track it over a time period. I like to give myself a solid six weeks when I'm trying to do something like this. I plan for a couple of weeks usually to get my food organized before I start, and then assume that the first week is I'm going to hit some roadblocks and, uh, if nothing else, a lot of distractions. It can be a good test of willpower, though, and usually by the end of the first week, I start to feel a clarity or a newfound energy, and that's usually just enough to keep me motivated to see what else might happen during this period. It's important to not let yourself feel deprived, though. So if you're planning to make a a change in diet, I like to remind people to get more organized and so that you're keeping the, the kind of foods you actually like in the mix. And this this generally tends to improve uh, the, the outcome of your shift. Uh, that being said, don't be afraid to try some new things. You might develop a taste for a, your new favorite food if you're lucky. If you want to learn more about what Tom has organized for you, go to guygonketo.com and you can uh, check out some of his products there too, as well as his book. Let me know what you thought of this topic and conversation. You can email me at jeremy at highwaytohealthpodcast.com or go to highwaytohealthpodcast.com now to make it even easier. And uh, if you have a guest that you think I should have here on the show, please reach out to me and, and let me know who they are and why you think I should have a conversation with them. And don't forget to check out um, Highway Health Podcast on Facebook and Instagram for daily inspiration. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. 
Be well, my friends. <laughs>